Well, good morning, friends and family, and welcome to Convergent Church. Um, I'm just absolutely awestruck this morning that sinners through Jesus get to approach a holy God. Is that not amazing? That is just filling my heart this morning. It's been filling my heart this week as, uh, as I've been preparing for this sermon. And, and uh, it's just one of those days where you're so full of that thought, like, wow, I actually get to come and approach God. And you've prepared a bunch of words and pages, and you're not really sure where things are going to go. So um, just sit back, relax this morning. Uh, we're coming to the end, or almost the end, of our study through uh, the book of John, which we've titled Our Joy Complete. And we've been looking at how do we find our joy in God? How do we make him our satisfaction? How do we walk in greater and deeper obedience to him that we might know him more? And so today we're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And throughout John's letter, he's given us many, many reasons why he wrote this letter in the first place. In 1.4, he said that he writes it so that our collective joy, the joy of the church, both individual and corporate, would be complete. In, verses two, uh, or in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he writes, So that we may not sin, but instead we would press on to greater obedience towards God, remembering that Jesus is our advocate. In chapter 2, verse 26, John says he writes about those who are trying to deceive the church, and he spurs us on towards right doctrine and true teaching and, and a rock-solid faith in what God has written in his word. And now in 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Full joy, greater holiness, trusting God's word, and now John writes of us, speaking about the confidence we can have in eternal life. And, and, I, and I just, I am so thankful, I am so thankful to God this morning that he has not been silent. I was in my office this morning just worshiping and thinking about this amazing reality that a God who did not have to communicate with a broken and sinful people in a broken and sinful world has spoken to us. He has communicated truth to us, the truth of who he is, He's communicated his character. He's, he's communicated the truth of what we've become as, as a broken and sinful world. He's communicated the truth of where his plans are going, his eventual reclamation and redemption of the entire creation. But the most important thing, the most important truth that God has ever communicated to mankind is that we can know God as Father in an intimate way. We can know him as our father today. It's a truth that he's not left us. 
God hasn't forsaken his creation. The truth that he's not distant from us, but he stands even at this very present moment available to anyone who desires to know him. God has communicated through the sinless life and sacrificial death of his son Jesus that he stands ready and willing even at great cost to himself to accept all who believe on the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? And he promises that everyone who will call on the name of Jesus, everyone who will trust that Jesus is sufficient, everyone who will trust on the name and in the life of the Son of God will be granted eternal life, life everlasting, and all of the confidence that comes with eternal life. My friends, this is the gospel. You hear a lot of preachers say, this is the gospel. No, this is the gospel. Jesus died for us. A holy God has spoken to us, and he's calling all men and women to come and trust in Jesus Christ. They might have eternal life and have it to the full, that they might have confidence before a holy God. This is the gospel. We trust it. We rely on it. It is our greatest value here at Convergent Church. But I want to look at verse 14 for a moment because John uses a very important word that is is, uh, pertinent to the rest of our overall text today, and that word is confidence in verse 14. And so I'd like to just start by explaining what John means by that word Confidence. Well, that word confidence in the Greek is the word parousia, and it is best translated not simply to confidence, but to boldness. And what's meant here is that those who have eternal life, who have believed in the name of the Son of God, can have some measure of boldness towards God as we approach Him as Father. We may say that our standing as those who have eternal life gives us a bold faith before God, a bold trust before God. Even in the midst of sadness and in grief and in trial and in betrayal and lies and in the grip of depression and all of these things, even in our failings and sin, we can have a measure of boldness when approaching God. And we'll see as we move through the text today that John highlights four areas in our communion with God, our standing and our speaking with God, where we can have boldness. And our first one is this. We can have a bold faith that we can know and desire God's will. We can have a bold faith that we can know and desire God's will. And so John's first case comes in verse 14 where he says this, this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, and I want to stop there, That if we ask anything according to his will, this is the confidence we have. We, as children of God, all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have put the foundation of our life on the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, have the great privilege of speaking to God. We have the great privilege of petitioning God for help. We have the confidence of children who are in need or in peril or in misery or in darkness of our spirit can call out to our loving Father for help. 
It is a great privilege. The privilege to be able to talk to God. I mean, I don't know if that's blowing your mind right now, but it's blowing mine. I can talk to the sovereign, holy, beautiful, glorious creator of the world. Jesus has made way for that. I can speak to the Father of all creation. And not only that, but he stops and he listens to me. He listens to the petition of his beloved children. And I just want that to sink in this morning. And John wants to make a specific point about the prayers and petitions he's talking about in this text. Because there's a quality or a qualification to the prayers and petitions in which we can pray that can give us boldness and confidence. There's a way in which we can pray, a way in which we can approach God that instills confidence in us. And John makes this very clear when he says, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything, what? According to his will. We can be confident that God has opened a way, but the only confident prayers we can make are those prayers that consider what God's will is. Before we pray in the praying and, and even with the outcome of the praying, and you might say, well, Jameson, how can I know what God's will is? I mean, you'll see dozens of self-help books. How do you know God's will for your life? And it's actually very simple. Here's the beautiful thing. God has revealed his character, and his will to us. And we have the privilege of knowing this because God spoke to us first. You see, our prayer and communion with God is not a conversation that we started, but a conversation that God started that we now have the privilege of partaking in. God has revealed all throughout history. He has spoken through the tongues and pens of men, by the power and the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, he has revealed his character and he has preserved his desires, his thoughts, his intentions, his will in 66 books, which we call the canon of Scripture, the Holy Bible. It begins at Genesis 1-1 and it ends at Revelation 22-21. There's no other inspired text which we can go to to see God's will. It's sufficient it's inerrant, it's infallible, God's word is enough for us. Most of us know the famous text, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's no other place we can go to discern what the will of the Lord is but to look at what he has said in his word and to do what he has called us to do. So the first thing we must do as Christians to know God's will is to read our Bible. That is where we see what God desires of us and what we should do. And what he doesn't want us to do. That's right, buddy. <laughs> when I read, love your neighbor as yourself, or protect the innocent, give to the poor, 
Take care of the orphans and the widows. Honor God alone. Trust in Jesus. Pray without ceasing. Be holy as I am holy. And all the other commands in Scripture, I can know what God's will is for Jameson. God's will for me is that I would live and breathe walking by the light of the Bible alone and doing what he commands, trusting it as the foundation of my life and practice. We can be bold in faith and prayer knowing that because God has said it, because God has said, my children, do this, that he actually wants us to do it. And if it's God's will for us to do something, we can be confident in praying that he will help us to do it. This is what we call God's revealed will. We might call it his perceptive will because it can be perceived. I can perceive what God wants of me by reading my Bible. But there's also another will of God which we have to consider as we pray. And this is God's hidden will or his secret will, which we might call his will of decree. These are the things that God has planned that only he knows, the things that he has not revealed to us. The minute details and circumstances of life which we very highly likely will never know. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. Isaiah 46, 9, 10 says this, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other God. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. Now, we can live according to what God has revealed to us. And we can pray with an eye towards and a heart bent towards whatever hidden things God may desire for us. We can be bold when pursuing His revealed will, but be humble and never assuming when we're dealing with the secret things of God. And I feel the most vivid example of this is actually our Savior, Jesus, and His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just as Jesus was about to die, he knew he was dying. He was getting ready to go to the cross as a willing sacrifice for all the sins of God's people. After all, this is why he had been born. This is why he came to earth. This is why he take, took on our form. He was born in the shadow of a cross. And the reality of what would happen to the Messiah was revealed all throughout Scripture. It wasn't hidden to Jesus. Jesus absolutely knew what came next, and he had been the, the example of bold faith before God the Father. Jesus would simply ask for things in the Father's will, and they would be done. And yet, even Jesus was not arrogant or presumptuous before his Father when dealing with the secret things of God. It says of him in Matthew 26, 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus' heartfelt desire was first and foremost the will of God. Both the revealed will of God to be faithful to the Scriptures and what God had called him to do, but also the hidden will of God, whatever would please the Father. And it was absolutely shown in the way he prayed. And John says, and Jesus shows, that we can have confidence in doing God's revealed will, knowing that God's hidden will will always come to pass. We can have confidence that if we have eternal life, anything we pray according to God's will and submission to God's desires and living according to his word, he hears. John continues in verse 14, the last three words. He says, he hears us. So our second point is that we can have bold faith to know that we have God's ear. Bold faith to know that God hears us. Many times when I've spoken with people about prayer or speaking to God, I've heard a lot of people say, like, Jameson, it just seems like God doesn't listen to me. Seems like God's not listening. And this might sound harsh, but here's the reality. He might not be. God might not be listening to you. But John wants to assure the children of God and he wants to assure them that when we pray in God's will, John answers every prayer. So I don't want to be a downer, but I want to assure and warn at the same time. And so if you struggle with whether or not God hears your prayers, I'd like you to ask yourself three simple questions and we'll walk through these together. The first question is this, do you have eternal life? That's the first question. Do you have eternal life? If the answer is yes, I trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I have eternal life through him, praise God. That is a good thing. You have this first qualification, but if the answer to that first question, do you have eternal life, is no, you can have no assurance that God hears your prayers. You can have no assurance that God hears any prayers other than prayers that are forgiveness for your sins and trust in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. We call this repentance. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. All communication with God, all speaking with God and hearing from God rides on the torn back and flows along the river of blood that is Jesus. Jesus is the lifeline between us and a holy God. And you cannot talk to God without Jesus as an advocate or mediator. There is no confidence in it. And only those made righteous by grace through faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, can be confident that our Father hears us from heaven. So that's the first question. John says this in John 9.31 in his gospel, We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Similarly, Peter said this in his epistle in 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. My friends, Jesus opens the way 
for communication between us and a holy God. And without Jesus, and this is my warning, without Jesus, you simply are not on speaking terms with God. Without Jesus, you are not on speaking terms with God. Second question. First one, do I have eternal life? Second question, do I know what God wants? Do I know what God wants? In other words, do I know his revealed will? If the answer to the second question, do I know what God wants, is yes, good. That means you have a good, general understanding of what God wants in the Bible. Now, my suggestion to you is open your Bible and discover more of what God desires for you. And be faithful to do it. If the answer to that question, do I know what God wants, is no, here's a simple answer. Open your Bible. Open your Bible and discover what God desires for you and do it. Question number three. Do I want what God wants? And I think this is the most important one. Do I want what God wants? In other words, will I live by His revealed will? If I see His will in the Scripture, will I do it? Do I defer to His hidden will for me? Can I say, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. If the answer to this third question is yes, good, pray and thank God for revealing his will to you by his word and shaping your heart to want what he wants. That is a gift of grace. If the answer is no, also good. If the answer to that question, do I want what God wants, is no, good. You see clearly that you do not desire what God wants. Now go in prayer and in repentance, knowing you have not wanted what God wants, and ask him to forgive you for that. And furthermore, ask him to so shape your heart that you would want what he wants, that you would want the good of his word. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, possessing eternal life in Christ, Following and yielding to God's will, John says that we can have a bold faith to know that God hears us, and furthermore, that we can ask whatever we will. Let's read verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have from him. I want to highlight in this text the word if. I want to highlight the word if. The if in this sentence is what we call a conditional clause, and you'll actually find them throughout the Bible. And a conditional clause is something we see in Scripture where someone, usually God, will say, if you do this, I will do this. Or if this happens, I will cause this to happen. It's a result based on certain conditions being met, and I think one of the most famous ones, which our country kind of likes to throw around a little bit, uh, is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So what are the conditions there? First, the condition of that text means it must be God's people. They must possess eternal life. They must belong to God, called by God's name. 
They must be for his purposes. Secondly, they must humble themselves before God. They must confess that his will and his knowledge and his greatness and his glory are greater than their own. Then they must pray. So they must petition God. They must ask God. They must talk to God. Then they must seek his face. So that means to desire and delight in his pleasures. And lastly, they must turn from their wicked ways. And so repentance, fleeing from their sin. And God says, then, then I will hear from heaven. And then I will forgive them. And then I will heal their land. And in our text today, John says, if we know that he hears us. Well, how do we know that he hears? We believe in the Son of God. We possess eternal life. We ask according to his will. Then we are bold in faith, confident that he hears. And if these conditions are met, we can feel free to ask whatever we will. We can feel free to come and ask God whatever we desire because we've already placed our desires, our needs, our wishes, our hopes for the outcome on the back burner as secondary to God's pleasure. We have said, as Jesus has said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Our way I like to remember it is I'd prefer, yet I defer. Lord, I'd prefer that you do this, but I defer to whatever brings you glory and brings the most good. And I want you to think of your own children or for your own spouse. Do they hesitate to ask you for good things? For time spent or for love or for hugs or for affection? Do they feel strained to ask for your love or comfort or attention or forgiveness? Most do not. Because they know you desire to give those things. They have a confidence that those things are always on the table. The problem comes when we begin to ask without God's will in mind and ask against what he has revealed his desires to be in his word. So for instance, this is kind of with Halloween coming up, this is sort of a thing we've been running into. Let's say my children desire to have candy today, all right? But I know, as their father, that they've been eating a whole lot of candy lately. Yes, you have. (laughs) But they've been eating a whole lot of junk food lately. And I tell them, hey, it's my desire that today would be a candy-free day. Like, we're not... (laughs) Told you it's happening. My desire is that today would be a healthy day. We're not going to have candy today. And then sometime later, they come and ask me if they can have candy. What's my answer going to be? No. I've already revealed to you that my desire is not that you would have that. Or let's say, um, let's say they desire to watch TV, but it's, it's not my will to grant them that because I've said, hey, clean your room, do the dishes, fold the laundry. And then they come to me later and say, hey, can I, can I watch TV? And I go, well, have you done what I asked you to do? And most of the time the answer will be no. <laughs> and so the answer from dad is also No. The only ceiling to our prayers is this, two things, God's will and our obedience to his word. That's it. There's no other ceilings. God will give whatever he wills to give, 
And here's a little secret. Guess what? God wills to give you more than you actually want. God wills to give you greater things than you could ever actually ask or desire. And so the ceiling to our prayers is God's will in our obedience. James put it this way in James uh, 4, 2, and 3. He said this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and can not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What we ask for and how we intend to use God's blessings matter. And if we ask according to what is good for us alone, and not what would bring God the most glory, or not what would be in his will, or not that would bring our family and neighbors and city and surrounding area the most good, we ask wrongly. And I'll be the first to say that, man, a lot of my prayers are really selfish when I go back and look at them. A lot of my prayers are often so concerned and aimed towards what I want and what I feel I deserve or what would make my life easier or more comfortable as opposed to what would truly bring God glory in any given situation? What would truly cause good for the world around me in any good situation? But I find that when I want what God wants, when I can get down on my knees and say, Father, I would like this, or I need this, or Father, please grant me this, and yet when I can say, but whatever you feel is best for me, Father, I'd like that the most. I want that the most. For, for the good of your glory and for the good of those around me, I will rejoice if you give me that. John 16, 23-24, Jesus said this, In that day, he's talking about the day when he's gone and he's with the Father, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, in Jesus' name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And what does Jesus mean by that? It's pretty simple. If I want what God wants, and God's will is done through the prayers of Jameson Bibiak, my joy will be complete because I, Jameson Bibiak, will be happy that God got what God wanted. That's what it means. It means my joy will be complete when I see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven and in my heart and in my life and in my family and in my surroundings. When I see God's will done through my prayers, I am happy because God's will is the best thing. And I'm not happy simply because I got what I wanted, but my joy is full because God got what he wanted. And I just really wanted that. That's where I want my prayers to go. That's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of child of God I want to be. Lastly, let's look at the fourth area in which we can have bold faith. We can have bold faith that God is faithful to answer prayers. John says this, we know or have faith that we have the request that we ask of him. We must pray in a way that trusts that our prayers are not an exercise to overcome God's reluctance. I want to say that again. 
Prayer is not an exercise to overcome God's reluctance. God is not some mean old fogey in the sky who's just dangling blessings and going, oh, come get it, here's the carrot. That's not what's happening. It's not an exercise to overcome God's reluctance, but an opportunity to lay hold of God's willingness. That's what prayer is. It's not overcoming his reluctance. It's an opportunity to lay hold of his willingness. The point of prayer is not that we get what we want, but that our hearts over time would begin to align with God's. And in our asking, we would believe that God hears our prayers, takes them to heart, and knows how to answer best. I think the Christian life and the human experience are a testimony that we do not always get what we ask from God. But we always receive an answer from God. Maybe you've been in a situation like this. You ask for patience, but the way God allowed you to grow in patience is by going through trials that test your patience and tempt you to fail. Maybe you ask to be a more loving person, and the way God has made you more loving will be giving you opportunities to love sacrificially and let go of your desires in place of his own. You may ask for joy, and God may bring you through seasons of despair and darkness so that on the other end you may see the brightness in comparison. We may ask for peace, and the way that God may choose to bring about peace is by first taking us through the war. The point is not that we get what we want, but that God gets what he wants. My friends, no is an answer. Not yet is an answer. I have a better way is an answer. And for any of you who are parents, you understand that. No is an answer. I have a better way is an answer. Not yet, but later is an answer. And unfortunately, we're so accustomed to getting what we want and what we want right now. We want what we want. We want to have it in this moment. We want to have it exactly the way we want it to be. And if we find fault in the way God answers our prayers, what that does is it reveals to us that we simply do not desire his will as much as we thought we did. And I've been there so many times. If we find fault in God's blessings, the fault is in us. And it doesn't change the goodness of the gift, even if we fail to recognize it. Some of the greatest gifts God has ever given me have come with the most profound moments of pain. But prayer is not all pain. It is not overcoming God's unwillingness to give good gifts, but communing with the living God who calls those who trust in his son beloved, friend, and child. And that in and of itself, that is the ultimate reward. That God answers my prayers with the best gift of all, himself. God is always faithful to answer your prayers. And what you get when God answers your prayers is more of God. That should be the goal. That in our communion, it is not always what we desire. It is not always that we would have what we need to have. But when we come to prayer, recognizing that we already have what we need in Jesus. We already have what we need in our communion with the Father. We already have what we need in the indwelling of his spirit. And I'd like to end on this verse. 
In Luke 11.13, Jesus said this in speaking to his disciples about prayer. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My friends, God is the greatest gift that God could ever give to man. If you possess eternal life, you have more riches than you could ever imagine. You have more security than you could ever dream of. You have the greatest thing, the greatest person in existence. You have communion with the Father. You have the brotherhood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So as you endeavor to pray, as you endeavor to be obedient to God's will, remember this much. You are exceedingly rich, no matter how God answers your prayers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come and we can talk to you. And not only can we talk to you, but you listen to us. Lord, you've given us eternal life and you are bringing us more into eternal life. And my hope, Lord, for myself and for my family and for my church and, 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 and the church in Owasso, Lord, is that we would get serious about prayer and Lord, that we wouldn't see it simply as this thing that moves your begrudging hand, but that we would see prayer as this great opportunity to come and lay hold of your willingness. Lord, lay hold of your willingness for our lives and for our families. Lay hold of your willingness for our churches and for our city, Lord, because you are a God who can do exceedingly above all we could ever ask, hope, or imagine. And Lord, I believe that. And Lord, I pray that Convergent Church would believe that, and I pray that Calvary Baptists would believe that, and I pray that the churches in Owasso would believe that. So, Lord, that we would look to your word, walking confidently by your will, submitted to whatever you have for us in the future, confident that you are a good father who hears and gives the best gifts. We love you. You deserve our praise. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.